This is the Create Love, Create Freedom podcast. My name is Allison Fisher, and on today's episode, we are going to be discussing attachment in childhood. We're going to be discussing secure attachment and the three different types of insecure attachment. So when we discuss attachment styles and attachment theory, we're really looking at four different unique blueprints for how you've learned to give and receive love in your childhood. But this also carries into your adult romantic relationships. Um, I think that your blueprint is really a good indicator of how much closeness or space you desire when it comes to emotional intimacy. And that originally took place, uh, your reasons for wanting more closeness or less closeness took place in your childhood, both the way that your caregivers interacted with you, but also the way that your caregivers or your parents interacted with others. So attachment is this really lasting, um, long lasting, lifelong lasting psychological connectedness between human beings. And as I said before, that first attachment that was established during infancy was most likely with your parents. Because our caregivers vary in their levels of sensitivity and responsiveness to us, based upon their own wounds, their own traumas in childhood, and the way that they learned to have connectedness with another people means that not all of us as infants attach to our caregivers in the same way. And not all of us attached in a healthy way. So attachment styles are really the expectations people develop about their relationships with others based on the relationships they had with their parents or their primary caregivers when they were small. Um, Understanding attachment wounds that, you know, we may have encountered in childhood helps us heal old wounds uh, within ourself, helps us grow our knowledge and understanding of ourselves helps us really create the life that we want. Um, I know many of us, including myself, who attached in an unhealthy way, um, an insecure way. I've always really felt held back. Like there's always been something that didn't seem to bother all people. And this has also really became apparent um, in my 20s and 30s when I was trying to form romantic relationships. Um, and as I have gotten older and I've wanted to create conscious relationships, that's kind of a term that's been being kind of thrown out there a lot. Um, where both people are doing their inner healing work. It doesn't mean there aren't any issues or problems, and it doesn't mean conflict doesn't arise, but it means that both people are in tune to themselves and their growth, but they're also in tune to the other person's growth. And they're very committed to being there for their partner as their partner grows. And also, as I understand sexual polarity, which is going to be a topic for a future podcast. Um, it really, I really came into contact with insecure attachment and understanding insecure attachment and why I was um, attracted to men who were also insecure. And as I have done a lot of healing work, worked on the relationship I have with myself, with my inner child, um, understanding the ways that my parents did a great job raising us and the ways that 
um, they really helped form some insecure attachment has really helped me understand how to become what I like to call a recovering, uh, anxiously attached person and become more securely attached. And what I can tell you is that you will not attach the same way to all people. So someone who is securely attached, I have personally found that I'm much more secure around those people. Yet those people who are insecurely attached, I struggle a lot more with, and I have a lot more triggers with. And then the other thing that I will also say is that you can heal. Um, it takes a lot of work. And I also believe it takes a lifetime. Um, and yes, those triggers, those wounds are going to be there. But just kind of like if you, um, you know, had a cut on your arm or you fell off your bike or, you know, whatever, uh, you got some sort of wound, you can clean it out you can stitch it up, you can work on allowing it to heal. And yeah, you may have a faint scar. And occasionally, if you were to um, fall down again, or if you were to get a bump or whatever, it might split open a little bit, you might have to go in and reclean it. And continue, you know, working on that healing process. But eventually you have a light scar. And that reminds me of the Japanese art of using gold um, and a gold kind of filament paste to put back together broken pottery. And they see this, these broken uh, pieces as being much more beautiful um, because the gold is there to bond it back together. And it is actually also stronger. So one of the beautiful things that I have found as someone who was anxiously attached, um, I cannot speak for the other attachment styles, but for someone who has been anxiously, you know, was anxiously attached and is working on becoming securely attached, I also have deep compassion for people who are struggling for people who feel held back by those traumas, those wounds in their life, in their childhood, and the things that kind of keep coming back up for them. So there are a lot of beautiful things about having to work through an insecure attachment style, um, having to heal it. Um, I find myself much more in tune to the needs um, and the pain of others, the suffering. Um, and for me personally, I, I remember um, back when I was in college and whatnot, maybe high school, I was um, very interested in the television show, The West Wing. And there was a scene um, where the chief of staff is talking to, uh, that would be Leo McGarry was talking to um, Josh Lyman. And he talks about waiting, he's waiting for Josh to come out of a therapy appointment after being shot. And Josh says, what are you doing here? And Leo goes, so I have a little story to tell you. So he tells him the story about this guy, Joe, and he falls into this, you know, he's walking along one day and he falls into this deep, dark hole. And he works on trying to get out of it himself and he can't. There's nothing down there. Uh, he doesn't know how to get out of this hole. So he sees a priest walking by one day and he says, Father, Father, can you help me out? It, it's me, Joe. I'm down here in this deep, dark hole. And the father says, absolutely, let me help you. And he writes him a prayer and he tosses it down into the hole. And again, this story is not to say that prayer isn't wonderful and that it isn't useful. Um, but a little while later, Joe sees a doctor walking by and he says, hey, doc, it's me, Joe. I'm down here in this deep, dark hole. 
can you help me out? And the doctor says, oh yeah, absolutely. Hold on just a minute. He writes him a prescription, throws it down into the hole. Not that doctors and prescriptions can't be helpful or useful at different times, but it never really helped this guy get out of this place, right? This place of darkness, this place of being trapped. And then he sees his friend Pete and he goes, hey, Pete, Pete, it's me, Joe. I'm down here in this hole. Pete jumps down into the hole with him. And Joe says, what are you doing? Now we're both stuck down here. And Pete says, yeah, but I've been down here before and I know the way out. So by talking about trauma, by talking about the wounds that we can heal, um, by talking about the ways that we can do those kinds of things, I feel is very useful. And it's part of not only my calling, but those that I work with to help those around us to the best of our ability. Now a person has to want that kind of help, want to work on their attachment style, um, want to look towards healing. And there are some people who you're never going to be able to heal. You're never going to be able to help. But I do believe that there are other people who say, how do I create healthy attachment? <laughs> how do I heal some of these wounds? How do I work through some of the trauma that I have? So we are going to be talking today about healing uh, anxious attachment and also avoidant attachment. And then we're going to look a little closer at healthy attachment, secure attachment. So healing anxious attachment. Um, I have found that it comes in a lot of ways and a lot of phases uh, for myself personally. Um, so I'm going to go over a few things that have been really helpful for me. At the same time, I've needed different things at different points on the path. So what I would first say is, yes, listen to some of the people around you. Uh, put some, not only healthy people, some securely attached people, but put people around you who you can see that they are working on themselves and gain insight from some of the the tactical things that they implement in their own life. But also be very intuitive to what you feel like you need. There have been times in my life where I have said, I, for some reason, I really feel like I need to be working on some boundaries. Everybody has access to me at all times, or maybe it's, I really have difficulty saying no, right? I want to people please. I want to um, compulsively caretake others. Well, it's also, even though we have anxious attachment, it's also an avoidance of some kind. I'm going to take care of other people and everything that they need before I ever look inside. So in the past, I've talked about how doing small things each day really helps me get in tune to who I am. I am personally a person who can push myself aside. And what I've learned is that part of self-care for me um, you know, I took a hot bath last night, lit some candles, and uh, really just got myself ready to be able to sleep, you know, get a good night's sleep last night. And that's wonderful self-care. But for me, self-care is also not avoiding things. And it's also taking time to really get in touch with my own emotions, not just feeling the emotions of others. Uh, another one I'll throw out there uh, is making sure my finances are on point, regardless of what I make, not overspending, um, really paying attention to that, knowing what my goals are is really important. It's easy when you are in a place of maybe some darkness, whatnot, to just kind of avoid things, right? Avoid looking at what you're eating, avoid making a healthy lunch for yourself. Um, taking it with you to work instead of grabbing something quick, right? Um, I really believe in paying it the, 
paying attention to the body. The body really allows us to understand and be very intuitive to what we need. Um, And then it's doing small things daily. It's not seeing this big thing of, I need to create boundaries around myself. It's really saying, when those little things come up each day, I'm going to pause before I react to them. And if I forget to pause, I'm going to give myself a break. It's doing little things. Okay, I'm going to have a night routine, um, maybe a hot bath, maybe a little stretch, drinking some water, um, you know, putting on some lotion, um, you know, taking good care, you know, having a face regimen where you know, you cleanse, um, you know, maybe put on a mask, you know, those kinds of things, uh, moisturize, hydrate, do those kinds of things so that you can have a really good morning. It doesn't mean you need to be up at 4 a.m. <laughs> um, grinding away, but it does mean, hey, I want to be up at this time, but I want to have the energy in order to do what I need. And then it's taking those small steps. Okay, I'm going out for a walk today. Okay, I'm going to get a workout in today. Um, even if it's 20 minutes, even if it's you know rehydrating in the morning, eating a healthy breakfast with protein, Um choosing things that are really good for you. When you do these small things for your body, it also helps your mind. For me, one of the biggest things of getting back in touch with my intuition, so that I can kind of look at what areas of my anxious attachment I need to heal. And I think that this could also be very true for people with avoidant attachment. For me, it's also going for a walk not necessarily always listening to something, but some days I just need to hear the birds or the rain fall on the ground and just be in my own thoughts. Not just what am I feeling, also what am I thinking? And also how does my body feel? What is my body also telling me about what I need? So when it comes to healing anxious attachment, um, I spoke a little bit about compulsive caretaking. Letting go of the need to compulsively caretake will take time. Yet, also making sure that your needs are taken care of. That's one of the reasons why I have a morning routine, so I can take care of others. I take care of me, so I can take care of the other people in my life, or maybe not just take care of them, like make sure all of their needs are met, but care for them. Make sure that I am not just there for their physical needs, but that I also have the bandwidth to be there for their emotional needs where they're not draining me, but I'm also present, available, connected to the moment instead of just being focused on my anxiousness and my over-obsessive look at, well, this is what this person must be feeling. And it's like I can feel it in my body, this anxiousness, it it builds up. And it's like, it's kind of like I'm like a guitar string, just kind of like vibrating. And um, so catching yourself in those moments when you are compulsively caretaking. Another one that was really big for me, and it it took a little while before I kind of got to this point. So depending on where you are in your journey, you can really decide what's good for you. But it was really identifying my protest behaviors. I can be very good at protesting in such a way that is withdrawing. Sometimes threatening to leave a relationship, but that's only sometimes in my deepest, uh, like most intimate relationships. I, I have struggled with that. What's interesting to me is I also struggled with that with someone who was very avoidant. And what I realized was that was that push pull of the anxious avoidant trap, even though I was working really hard on becoming secure. Um, another protest behavior I think sometimes people have is playing games. 
Um, but for me, it can really be withdrawing and being around other people who are very intuitive and highly sensitive. They'll kind of ask me, Hey, what's going on? Like you're really quiet. And sometimes we need to be quiet. That's, you know, that's perfectly acceptable. But when it's a protest behavior, I'm going to push you away. I'm going to withdraw. I'm going to do these kinds of things so that maybe you will try to meet my needs instead of working on meeting some of my own needs. And when you are really looking at compulsive caretaking and your protest behaviors and some of the other things that we're going to talk about here in the future uh, in just a few minutes, self-soothing and whatnot, it's also listening to that internal dialogue. What are you saying to yourself in those moments? For me, it was always, well, this person doesn't care about me. They don't love me. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. And instead, I had to reauthor or reframe those and say, okay, take a deep breath, Allison. All right, is that actually true? Or is that just how you're feeling right now? Because you're really deep in your feelings and your thoughts. Let's move into the body. Let's take a deep breath. Let's calm down our nervous system. And then let's listen to the things that we're saying. Because a lot of times protest behaviors, it's that trigger kind of thing. And that's the pattern that you fall back into, right? And instead saying, okay, I'm going to, I now realize this. I am now aware of this. Maybe I try something a little bit different. Maybe I say something a little bit different to myself. Another way to heal anxious attachment is really being focused on what you need from life. And I know that that sounds not quite, I don't know, uh, it sounds maybe a little narcissistic, like focus on being yourself and focus on yourself. But it's really being focused on being yourself not being what your parents or your friends or your colleagues want you to be. The biggest thing that I've really had to learn is that I'm not here to play a role for anybody. I'm here to be my most authentic self, the sovereign queen of my own life. I'm not looking for someone to come save me. And again, I would have to repeat this to myself. No one's coming to save us. We have to, meaning me and my inner child, (laughs) Um, we have to work through this. We have to take responsibility, not for everything, but for the things that are actually ours. Because one of the other things as an anxiously attached person is that I, in the past, would very much try to take responsibility for everything. Oh, well, if I take responsibility for all this, then, then they'll love me again, or they'll care about me, or they'll want to be connected with me connected to me, that deep craving to be connected to somebody. And what I've also had to deconstruct in my own life has been the role or roles that I've played in my own family. Um, My mother has untreated and undiagnosed borderline personality disorder. And she, uh, my father, although in some ways he's quite a bit healthier than she is, He backs her in a way that you must fall in line. You must do the things that he thinks are necessary to keep her on an even keel instead of honoring who you really are. And that's been something that's just kind of come up for me recently that I'm not here to play a role, especially a role in something that's very unhealthy. So really focus on being yourself. Cultivate that self. Um, determine what things you like to do and do those things. Um, for me, as a woman who's deeply feminine, uh, that means being creative, being working on really being in the moment. 
I have a lot of the sage archetype, meaning strategy, um, competence, uh, knowledge. And so sometimes I can be too focused on the future. And part of being happy and having joy has really also been focused on the present moment. Um, another way to heal anxious attachment is learn to tolerate not knowing how others feel about you and learning how to be okay with that. This is a hard one. And this is one that has taken me many years to really work through. Um, and then also realizing there's only a small group of people that I actually really care about their opinion, where I actually really care about what they think of me. There should be a few people, but most everybody else, it's okay if you don't like me. And that has taken me a very long time to learn and to be comfortable and okay with. But in those moments where you kind of get caught up in that anxiety of, oh, I don't know, you know, what they think about me, or I don't, I don't think that they like me. I don't think that they, I, I feel this vibe off of them that says that they're upset at me or they don't like me. And instead, kind of stepping back and reminding yourself, I am whole and complete, regardless of someone's opinion. Another um, way to heal anxious attachment is really being mindful of your tendency to overread other people's nonverbal cues. I, I, we can be very intuitive people. We can be very, you know, very highly sensitive, especially if you've had a parent kind of like mine, where, you know, with a border, with the borderline personality disorder, I was always walking on a high wire around my mother, ready for her to explode in rage and anger or tears, like minute to minute, always walking on eggshells. And so we, those of us who are either anxiously or avoidantly attached, or we also have disorganized attachment, we think that we're really good at reading people. And a lot of times we are, but because we've had to, right? We've had to read our caregivers. We've had to either avoid or try to reconnect with people who weren't always safe or didn't weren't always consistent in our childhood. And so in adulthood, that really makes it difficult for us. And so we tend to overread other people's nonverbal cues. And one of the things that really helped me with this was reading and then rereading um, the book, The Four Agreements. Nothing anyone ever says or does has anything to do with you. So don't take it personally. So even if I am reading something off somebody, if I haven't been rude, if I haven't been disrespectful, um, I don't always need to apologize. Oh, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean it that way. I can reclarify, but I can also speak my truth and speak what's there and do it from a very loving perspective. Um, but I also can and still read, of course, other people's nonverbal cues. I just try not to read too much into it. And I also try to just be curious about it and say, huh, well, that's different. They feel a little standoffish towards me today, or they feel like a little snappy. The truth is, it probably has nothing to do with me. I can reiterate to them, hey, if there's some sort of issue, like, don't be passive aggressive, you can tell me, and then we'll work through it. But... I think a lot of it doesn't have anything to do with us. It has to do with other people. And we need to continue to be putting ourselves around people that if, if it is about us, then we can have those conversations with them. And lastly, uh, for today, really learning to self-soothe. 
um, soothing the inner child. So I use a practice where I kind of, uh, sometimes it's, it's out loud. Like if I'm alone in my home or in bed at night or something like that. But a lot of times during the day when I'm around other people, I kind of think it in my mind, but I kind of, it's almost like reaching out and grasping the hand of, of little Allison, my, my little inner child, either that three-year-old or that seven-year-old or that 10-year-old self. And I say, it's okay. It's okay. We're safe. I've got you. You're okay. I'm not going to let anything happen to you. And then I kind of go through this practice of serving, uh, excuse me, soothing my nervous system and really interrupting any negative self-talk. Again, paying real close attention to my internal dialogue and soothing my nervous system really is that kind of breathing. Um, sometimes I tell people, um, you know, maybe in the heat of the moment, um, if I'm, if there's an argument and it's getting heated, Hey, I need 20 minutes. Maybe I'll go for a walk. Um, but then it's also not close, like not closing it down, not avoiding it, coming back to it, but also dealing with my negative self-talk. So let's look at how we can heal avoidant attachment. Those that I have worked with who have avoidant attachment, um, they really talk a lot about isolating themselves or using isolating behaviors in order to deal with the feelings that they have and for someone who was avoidantly attached, they weren't a- ever able to really express that in their family, in their childhood. And so particularly in intimate relationships, that is hard to do because it was unsafe. It could have harmed them as children. And so instead of leaning in, they put up a lot of kind of barriers and walls and um, boundaries, right? And I'm not sure that they always know that. I think sometimes they do, but I think that there are other boundaries that they will put up when either you get too close or they're triggered. Um, But one of the biggest things is really working on reducing those isolating behaviors, And when I talked about um, anxious attachment and healing that, I think that these uh, avoidant kind of behaviors, these isolating behaviors could also really be a protest behavior. So identify those things, Um, write down or just keep a little mental catalog of those times where uh, when you isolate why? Like, what are you feeling? How can you, yes, maybe take some time for yourself, certainly, but then also not shut people out. Lean in just a little bit after you've regulated your own nervous system, right? After you've done some deep breathing or soothed your inner child a little bit. Hey, holding your inner child's hand, I've got you. We're okay. We're safe. I'm not going to let anything happen to you. And taking the time that you need to be by yourself or with your thoughts, but then also stepping back in a little bit at a time with people who are very safe and who truly deeply love you. Because that's the thing about those of us who, uh, you know, for myself, who was anxiously attached in the past um, and who's working on becoming securely attached, we freaking love you. We love our avoidantly attached people. We know that there has been deep trauma and we do want to be here for you. Now, we're also working on not just getting into your space because we know that you need time. But allow us to be there for you. You don't have to go through all of this on your own. 
Um, another way to heal, I would say, is letting go of shame, self-shame. Especially when you desire to have some of your needs met by another person. I think that sometimes for anxiously avoidant, or excuse me, um, avoidantly attached people, asking for your needs to be met means that you aren't able to take care of yourself. And in childhood, you've had to do that. You had to take care of you. Sometimes you had to take care of a parent, protect a parent. And it is not shameful at all to need closeness, to need love, um, to need someone to listen, to need someone to have that, that not just intimate communion in terms of sex, but that intimacy, that communion of intimacy with them. Um, it's important for you to find people who um, don't, you know, who won't judge you for that and who won't take advantage of it. But it's also okay to let go of that shame that you may feel when you desire to have your needs met. Um, I would also say another way to heal and, and work on that avoidant attachment is to be okay with meeting other people's needs. They're not just trying to drain you or strip you. It's okay for your partner, for your spouse, for your boyfriend or girlfriend to have needs that when you're in the relationship with them, you also meet. Now, that doesn't mean that they should expect you, your partner should expect you to meet them every single time, exactly the way that it should be. You can also let them know, hey, I'm running on empty today or real low, or I need to take care of this thing. But also by being in tune to your body and by being in tune to other people's sensitivities, right? The way that you read other people, you used it in the past as a child to keep yourself safe. Now you can use it in order to create a loving environment, um, a place of security, a place of home. Um, and instead of isolating, which creates more tension, you can also lean in slightly and expect that they do the same. Because I really believe that deep intimacy, deep connection is that exchange of energy. Yes, I give and you give, but I also allow myself to receive and you also allow yourself to receive. And the thing is, is I think that that's something that avoidant and anxiously attached people have in common. Sometimes I, I think it can be hard to give, especially when we're kind of deep in our darkness. But sometimes it's also really hard for us to receive and being okay with that and realizing in those moments, hey, I'm trying, I'm working on becoming more securely attached. And even though it wasn't safe when I was a child, because either I got some love and then it was ripped away from me. In this case, my partner, my friend, um, my sibling, whomever, they're actually really trying to connect with me and not rip it away. Now, if you do have friends or, um, you know, a partner, whatever, who, who does that push pull, maybe it's time to rethink the relationship. Uh, but if not, a little bit of that leaning in, stepping the toe in the water can be a great source of healing. Another way to heal avoidant attachment is to really honor your self-reliance. Um, those who are avoidantly attached are very good at taking care of themselves, 
uh, being independent. Yet, so honor it. Yet at the same time, learn to ask for help. Or if you don't like the word help, look for assistance or guidance, right? Other people love that you take care of the things that need to be taken care of. That's a really strong characteristic of who you are. Yet we also really love it when we can do the same for you. We really love it when, again, it's a bit of a give and take. We think that you're wonderful. It's not that we don't think that you can't do something on your own, but that's part of relationship. That's part of relating. That's part of a tribe. That's part of being connected to other people is allowing someone else to be your guide from time to time. And not just uh, the person who's avoidantly attached that I think of. He's very good at allowing that to happen in conversation, but not allowing that to happen in terms of the relationship, like uh, the things that we do or the direction that life is going. And I, this makes me think um, very deeply of um, John Gottman and some of his books on um, marriage and whatnot, and allowing people to influence you to some degree. That actually builds much healthier relationships and is kind of a buffer against divorce, right? It doesn't mean that that happens maybe in all areas. And it's not as if you're just blindly letting someone lead you down a path that you don't want to go. You are self-reliant. You do your thing. But learning how to be both independent as well as dependent on someone else. Now, should we be overly dependent where our entire emotional and psychological um, like filling, right? Being filled comes from someone else. Well, no, of course not. That's also unhealthy. But finding kind of that sweet spot in terms of interdependence. So if you think of independence on the left and dependence on the right, and then there's this kind of line connecting them, see it as a little bit of a sliding scale and directly in the middle is interdependence, this perfect balance, right? I don't believe that most of the time, maybe, maybe we get to a perfect balance of interdependence. Yes, I take care of my own self to this degree, but I'm also completely dependent or dependent on this other person in this way. And I am perfectly here in the middle, an exact 50. Well, I personally think that we tend to slide around on that scale a little bit, and that's okay. But if you're very much more towards the the side of independence, work on sliding over a little bit, maybe more towards your partner from time to time in certain areas and let them know, hey, I'm really comfortable doing this right here, doing this kind of under these categories maybe of being influenced by you. But I'm also going to work on a couple of these other ones because a couple of these other categories, these other areas of my life, because I brought you into my life and I wouldn't bring someone into my life that I think could lead me in a really bad direction. Another way way to heal avoidant attachment is to increase your self-compassion. Um, work on that elusive self-love, loving yourself for who you are, for the parts of yourself that you, that, that are very light and those parts of yourself that are very dark and that you're kind of working on bringing into the light. The more that you work on this, the more that you work on self-compassion and giving yourself a break sometimes and choosing, hey, I've done enough for today. I've done enough independent things. It's now time to kind of rest 
maybe in the comfort of my partner, uh, my spouse. And having that kind of self-compassion that says, I don't have to have shame around this. I don't have to always just simply be focused on my trauma and my wounds, but I can kind of soften into self-compassion and time with others, reliance on others, and but also being very strategic, very intentional about who you choose to have in your life. Because if you've if you've been intentional and you specifically chosen, then there's a much better chance that the people that you have in your life are those people that you can trust. They're not going to be the people like either one or both of your parents that are going to um, put down the fact that you have opened up, um, be emotionally um, or psychologically um, unsafe. Another way to heal avoidant attachment is to work on increasing your tolerance for physical affection and emotional expressiveness. You're going to have to determine how you want that to look. I think that it can be easy to say, oh, sure, you should be holding hands with your partner or constantly hugging them or public displays of affection, you know, whatnot. But maybe really looking at how emotionally expressive you are, looking at how you play with your children. Are there ways that you can open up, be more free? Maybe you work on choosing in what environments to do that in. Maybe start with environments where there's no one else around except for that one other person. And then kind of work on that from there. It can be very uncomfortable to open ourselves up, expose ourselves to physical affection um, or emotional expressiveness when in our childhood that was dangerous, that got us in trouble, that either was physically harming to us, emotionally harming, psychologically harming. But now, particularly if, you know, we're not in our parents' home anymore and we're adults, that doesn't have to be the case. And learning how to play, learning how to creatively express ourselves, painting, drawing, cooking, gardening, um, working on a, a car, all of these different things, different ways, woodworking, that can help us deepen into that sense of security and health. And lastly, learn to identify and express your emotions with yourself, then others. So identifying your emotions. I very much believe that avoidantly attached people feel their emotions just as deeply as a an anxious person. An anxious person wants to kind of get them out there and an avoidant person really wants to hold them in. Um, which means that kind of that volume on our love, um, I, I like to think of it as the, the, that dial for the volume that we have to express our love. That volume dial can be very different depending on the person. So as a, you know, when I was very anxiously attached in the past, that volume could go very high. But I also know a lot of people who are avoidantly attached and their volume is very low and it's, there's not much to it. There's not much of the volume. That's not a, that's not something to shame yourself over, right? But working on being someone who can have that kind of expression, you can turn it up sometimes and you can turn it down sometimes, but really identifying your emotions with yourself. Some people find it really helpful to write something down. 
I'm not able to speak this right now, but I'm able to write it. That's also expressing it. And this really increases your vulnerability and connection. Now, I don't mean vulnerability in terms of being vulnerable to attack, right? What I mean by vulnerability is more of an opening and a softening to connection with others, which let's be honest, whether you're avoidantly attached um, or anxiously attached, or you have um, disorganized attachment, we all want that connection. It looks different, but we, we want to get to that place with healthy or secure attachment. So let's take a few minutes and talk about how to cultivate secure attachment. Um, These are things that I'm sure I will come back in the future and do another podcast on as I learn more. Uh, But uh, one of the things is continuing to develop the things you're already good at and the things that you love doing. I know a lot of times society talks about like getting really good at the things that you're bad at. And sometimes that's important to, you know, relieve some of those, um, those, um, like weaknesses, but it's really important to double down on the things that you're really good at. That doesn't mean we avoid or we get worried about the things that we're really bad at. Um, those are there too, and we can continue to work on those. But when we feel good about ourselves, when we're doing something we really love, it kind of puts us in this place of feeling very secure, feeling good uh, with our thoughts, with our feelings, and in our bodies. So it also allows us to spend more time in flow or immersed in living abundantly and pursuing the things that we find deeply meaningful. So that would be one of the things, uh, one of the challenges that I would say to you is find those things where you feel deeply abundant. There's no scarcity mindset with them. And continue to cultivate that abundant kind of mindset. Um, Do the things that you love. Sure. None of us are going to be able to do them all the time. We all have things that we have to do that we don't like to do, and that's not a bad thing either. But being sure that we're not only focused on crushing our weaknesses, right? Making sure that we double down on our strengths. I would also say with secure attachment and cultivating it, um, take measured risks. So write down some things, even if it's a small step forward and say, I'm going to try this. Uh, For me, one of the next things is going skydiving. Um, I've been told that uh, it can really kind of help reset your brain um, for a couple months at a time, really kind of open you up to, I don't know, lack of fear, new experiences, you know, those kinds of things. So I'm going to give it a shot. Um, I'm kind of terrified, but that also kind of excites me. (laughs) So taking a measured risk, trying new things that push you out of your comfort zone. And depending on where you are in your journey of self-healing, self-discovery, self-mastery, that might be a very small step. And that's okay too. Take a small step take a little one, and then accumulate more little small steps. And then soon, you're going to be a lot of big steps down the road. You're going to be at the end of the street at the stop sign, determining whether or not you want to turn left or right, right? It can be a measured risk. But by trying new things, by taking a risk, by getting outside of your comfort zone, this helps you create the growth that you desire to become less insecurely attached and more securely attached. 
and it sustains your growth, right? If we're not taking a step forward, we're not growing. So in order to sustain that forward movement, and it does not have to be, um, you know, a, a fighter jet kind of fast, it can be slow, it can be at your own pace, what makes you comfortable and then just slightly more. Another way to uh, create secure attachment is becoming physically strong. Um, In the Enneagram, uh, we really discuss, um, there there are uh, nine types, and there are three types that are head types, three types that are heart types, and three types that are body types. And as a heart type, um, which who's quite closely connected to the head types, um, body tends to be the last one on my list. But one of the ways that I have worked on cultivating secure attachment and soothing my nervous system has been through becoming physically strong. Um, focusing on your fitness, your wellness, and self-care. It really nurtures your emotional strength. Um, find fun things that you like to do. Find uh, things that are of interest to you that keep your body physically strong. Um, the body is deeply connected to what the mind thinks and how we feel. When our mind is strong, when our body is strong, then how we feel about ourselves is also going to improve. And therefore, through this kind of triad, we're going to be able to work through those things that started in childhood, through our closest connections with our caregivers, And we're going to be able to heal some of those things so that we're not still stuck in this kind of life that just kind of keeps going, playing over and over in a loop. Another way to cultivate secure attachment is to pay close attention to your internal dialogue. Um, I've talked about this um, a, a bit throughout our time together today. And be very aware that what you say to yourself and how you treat yourself affects your self-esteem and your self-compassion. How you view yourself as a direct link to healing insecure attachment wounds. Start small and just simply observe and pay attention. Be curious about what you say to yourself. And it has taken me several years, but uh, a couple years ago, you know, I was like, wow, I speak to myself so much differently than I used to. I used to be so horrible to myself inside my own mind. And now I speak with wisdom. I speak gently. I speak kindly. I speak respectfully to myself. Not always. Things pop up every once in a while when there's something very stressful going on. But then I can reauthor that, reframe that, and say something different. And lastly, Insight, understanding, and awareness generate acceptance and fuel your journey into emotional freedom. Study yourself. Understand yourself. Be aware of the things that are a pattern for you that are happening. This will lead you to emotional and psychological freedom. Self-knowledge is the key to change behavior and healed wounds, especially in our relationships. Thank you so much for being with me here today. Um, If you have any questions or comments about what we talked about, um, please reach out uh, to me um, at, it's I believe it's createlovefreedom at gmail.com. And I will definitely respond to you there, Um, as well as you can leave a a message on Instagram. Um, That is definitely where I share uh, most of my content. 
um, as well as TikTok. You can leave a message for us, for me. And um, we are going to be launching our personal growth uh, journey, which um, is the members club. And each month we are going to be releasing new topics that we're going to go into in a deep dive with videos, as well as um, workbook and resources, so that each month you can take um, an hour of your time and grow, um, uh, be curious, explore, and move through um, your wounds and your trauma to a much more um, free uh, life and mindset. And we're also doing so by creating a community of women. And if this is of interest to you, please go to createlovefreedom.podia.com and you can sign up and join us there. Hope you have a wonderful day. Until next time.